0: So in the middle of the 19th century, there's this guy in England, and his name is Robotham, Samuel Robotham, and he's a flat earther. Okay, It's a fringe belief, even back then, but he, he really does believe this, and he decides he wants to prove it to the world using science, or at least some approximation of science. So he says to himself, I'm going to find the longest, flattest place that I can and take some measurements to show that I can see further than I really ought to be able to if the world in fact was round. So he goes to a place in the county of Cambridgeshire known as the Bedford Level. And it's an area of waterways and fens and there are some canals here. And there's a particular section of canal which is almost 10 kilometres long, unusually straight, unusually long, unusually flat. And this is exactly the right place, he thinks, that he can go and carry out these experiments. So that's what he does. He, in fact, he does it many, many times over several decades. And for the longest time, this doesn't attract too much attention. Until, in about 1870, one of his most fervent followers, a man by the name of John Hampton, decides that he's going to get in on the act. He's carrying out similar experiments that Robotham was. Uh, but he's so sure that he's going to be correct about this that he decides to put a wager on it for anyone who will take this up. And none other than the famous naturalist Alfred Russell Wallace decides to take this up. So Wallace comes down to the Bedford level with all of his experience and all of his scientific skill and expertise. And uh, he's able to get different results. are Different to what Robotham was getting and different to what Hampton was getting. And because he knows what he's doing, because he's a real scientist and a real surveyor, Trained surveyor at that, he's able to explain and show where they went wrong and why their results weren't correct. Hampton, of course, is not impressed by this and doesn't want to pay. Eventually, the referee of this whole affair, who happens to be the editor for The Field magazine, which is like an outdoor hunting and shooting magazine in Victorian times, he's forced to take action, and eventually, things get so nasty that this guy Hampton is taken away to prison for, number one, not paying Alfred Russell Wallace, and number two, threatening to kill Alfred Russell Wallace on several occasions. You're listening to Wide Atlantic Weird, a podcast about why people believe weird things. I'm Kean, and here at the cabin in the woods located somewhere in the wilds of West Cork, In each episode, we deal with mysteries from history, monsters, creatures, UFOs, and even weird, out-there political and scientific beliefs as well, in order to find out just why people do believe weird things. On this episode, I'm joined by the fantastic Edward Guimant from the University of Connecticut, Edward joins us once again, bringing all of his expertise of strange beliefs uh, from all across history. What we're going to do is start off with this Bedford level experiment and then expand to find out exactly who did believe flat earth at what point during history. We're going to talk about flat earth during the colonial times, not only in England, but in the colonies as well. And we're going to talk a little bit about the idea that in medieval times, everybody thought the earth was flat. Whether that's a myth, why it might have come about, and what has Columbus got to do with all of this. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object.
1: Prove The
0: existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body. Hi, folks, welcome back to the cabin. It's February. Didn't really know that we were going to make it all the way through January this time. January is, it you know, can be a tough month in Ireland. So we don't always get the most pronounced seasons uh, compared to other places I've been anyway. It tends to be just different shades of grey at different times of year. But I suppose it is all about your mindset and things are what you make of it. I do find being out here in the cabin in the woods, as long as I've got enough layers on um, and I've got a camera with me and I pop out into the woods, I'm usually warm enough and I'll find something interesting to photograph. And oh, guess what? I might do a shout out to myself. You can check out those pictures occasionally on my Instagram, where I am Wide Atlantic Weird Podcast. And of course, I'm still on Twitter, where I am at Strange Ireland, and you can see some of my I won't call it nature photography because (laughs) that's too much I have friends who do real nature photography but I guarantee you even at this time of year there is some good stuff to see out there once you've got your uh, your winter nature goggles on and that's what I do my best to do Uh, quick promotional stuff anyway I have set up a buy me a coffee so that means that if you enjoy the show and you get a chuckle out of it or a shiver or Uh, any other reaction whatsoever good or bad you can always pop over there and do a a nice non-committal bit of support for the show i do have a drink traditionally on each episode and very often it is coffee not uh, not tonight but uh, many times it is and i do enjoy a bit of black brew please do send it my way if you are feeling charitable and that will be in the show notes in fact i might make it the very first one This is a second Flat Earth episode that we've done here at the cabin. We did one maybe a year, maybe more, maybe like a year and a half with my friend James Lynch. Now, that episode was mostly focusing on the science of Flat Earth, kind of why it's ridiculous in the specifics, scientifically, in terms of physics and astronomy, uh, as to why it is specific, because James, though a man of science, is also one of the most sort of science physics and engineering minded people I know. So that's a really good episode. I am proud of it. We really get into the weeds with the details of of the science. So if that's what you're looking for, um check out that previous flat earth episode. I believe it was called Sphere Itself, which is a terrible pun. This one is a bit different. This is with Dr. Edward Gimlin. This is more about flat earth in history. Um, so it's a bit of a history lesson we talk about colonialism as always and we talk about medievalism and a whole lot more stuff as well so make sure that you check that one out if you haven't already right other things so we did a recent silly and slightly off topic but fun and well-received Hulk Hogan episode and wow I mean we do stuff like that sometimes and my friends love it and everybody gets involved so we have a message from listener andrew in cork and andrew says that the episode should come with a warning about not listening while you're driving because it make you laugh and drive into a ditch or something so hopefully that didn't happen andrew but thanks for getting in touch with us anyway a few shout outs to other sort of friends of the pod and other 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 people producing cool stuff that i think listeners might enjoy um the uk artist known as gray frequency who i think i've mentioned before has a new album called Paranormal, and full disclosure, they sent me a copy of this or, or access to a copy, um, not because I asked, just because they're they're getting in touch with people who cover this sort of thing. And uh, but I I was a fan. I do own some some of their earlier stuff. I have an album called Ufology of theirs, which is good. So Gray Frequency produces. I think it's called ambient or or dark ambient or something like that. I'm not I'm not knowledgeable about electronic music, but suffice it to say that these are not like songs in the traditional sense. It's more like atmosphere or uh, maybe film music, perhaps. But it's very it's using unusual sounds and unusual sound effects uh, rather than traditional instruments. And it, it's called paranormal, and all of the imagery and all of the names and all of the sounds are are constructed to put you in the in the mindset and the atmosphere of primarily i think i think british uh, supernatural stories so uh, the the tracks are named things like evp and manifestation telekinetic ghost light uh, apparition and uh, matter matter through matter other things oh i had an appearance on the censored podcast recently so you should absolutely check that out that is with efa and that is another irish show and uh, on each episode she deals with a book that was banned by the Irish censors, the, the famously famously touchy Irish censors, super conservative, super Catholic uh, for most of the 20th century. And she's really knowledgeable about she, about the history of, of the censorship in Ireland. So if you're interested in religion, if you're interested in the history of <laughs> sort of conservative governments or just the history of censorship in general, it's really, really good fun. But she focuses mostly on smut and I, I kind of let her down a little bit because the book we read was Dennis Wheatley's To the Devil, A Daughter. You obviously know that I'm really really into Dennis Wheatley and um, if you don't go and listen to my Devil Rides Out episode because I'm very pleased with it. It was great fun to talk about Dennis Wheatley with Afa. She is hilarious and, and funny and dry and witty and all those good things uh, but she was a little disappointed by the lack of smut in Dennis Wheatley and then that's because while, you know, known for his novels about Satanism, Wheatley, you know, at core is a, is a bit of an uptight Victorian sort of a guy, which is probably why I like him. But we had a great time talking about that book and uh, I absolutely recommend you checking that out. Now, Immy from the University of Warwick got in touch uh, regarding our recent episodes about the Cottingley Fairies. And um, uh, at the second Cottingley Fairy episode, I did a little sort of byline talking about what's known as the Turanian Dwarf Theory, which is the idea that there were a race of ancient prehistoric miniature people living in Europe, you know, prior to Homo sapiens moving in and that memories, folk memories of this, are responsible for the belief in fairies which is total nonsense but resulted in some pretty interesting 19th century fiction anyway imi got in touch and said do i know about the work of robert kirk folklorist by the name of robert kirk who's most known for a book called the secret commonwealth and the answer is no i was not aware of this and that's embarrassing because he seems like a pretty pretty fundamental guy with regards to this stuff so huge thanks to imi for sending that in i love I love learning more about this stuff. So anyone who's listening, um, you know, by all means, get in touch and and send me stuff that you think might be interesting. And as always, I'm I'm chuffed at the sort of range of knowledge that people have who who listen to the show. So just because I only got this message today and I've been doing other things, uh, I haven't researched this too much yet. But let me just read a tiny bit about this guy Robert Kirk from from Wikipedia. Just I know it's a bit lazy, but So he lived in the latter half of the 1600s. He was a minister, a Gaelic scholar and a folklorist best known for a book called The Secret Commonwealth, a treatise on fairy folklore, witchcraft, ghosts and second sight, a type of extrasensory perception described as a phenomena by the people of the Scottish Highlands. Uh, Folklorist Stuart Sanderson and mythologist Marina Warner call Kirk's collection of supernatural tales one of the most important and significant works on the subject – in the late uh, 1680s, Kirk travelled to London to help publish one of the first translations of the Bible into Scottish Gaelic. And I, I'm a gaelicor myself, which is not exactly the same thing, but, you know, close enough, I suppose. Um, so he had his Gaelic Bible uh, published, and then, get this, uh, he died before he was able to publish the secret Commonwealth, but after he died, legends arose that he had been taken away to Fairyland for revealing the secrets of the good people. Yeah, can you see why this is up my street? And it says, the, the connections continue. Scottish author Walter Scott, okay, the Wizard of the North, Rob Roy, first published Kirk's work in, on fairies more than a century later in 1815. And Andrew Lang, he shows up on this show a lot. He was an important folklorist. Gave it the popular title, The Secret Commonwealth of Elves, Fawns and Fairies from 1893. So, yeah, I'm, I'm embarrassed that I didn't know more about this, guys. So thanks to Emmy for that. And, yeah, before we get started, my drink for the evening is Irish Red Ale from Sullus, uh, made in Kildare. Sullus, of course, is Irish for light. And this, this, this beer comes with a breakdown by percentage of the flavours. So if, you, if you're into, like, Ponzi flavour guides, uh, it's 25% toffee, it's 50% malty, it's ten percent happy and fifteen percent fruit, so yeah. Thanks, Alice. Uh, you're making my job easy here. So yeah, so we're gonna I'm gonna go right into my chat with uh, Dr. Edward Guimont from the University of Connecticut. As we're all working remotely at the moment, he was coming in from a snowy and uh, and doubly locked down. I think snowy snowy locked down uh, New York City. So here it is, and I do hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Okay, looks like we're off. Yeah, let's, so let's talk about the Bedford experiment just as a place to begin.
1: Sure, so this was in, uh, I think it was 1870, somewhere around there, but uh, this was a few years into kind of the, or actually several decades by this point, into the promotion of kind of flat earth beliefs by uh, kind of the the guy who was kind of the grandfather of the current modern flat earth movement, Samuel uh, Robotham wrote by the name Parallax. So a lot of times you'll see just pamphlets by Parallax, but uh, his name, Samuel Robotham. And as this may come back, but he was someone who had a number of fringe beliefs as well. Like in particular, uh, he was very interested in the idea that like, if you like you ingested enough phosphorus, I think it was that you could extend your life indefinitely. And this is actually something I've come across. There's a lot of like people interested in flat earth ideas in the 19th century who are very interested in just also the idea of immortality and i think there may maybe like there's a religious aspect of this as well i mean uh, i think we'll come back to this separately as well but you know you can't really get beyond like flat earth is an extension of a specific religious view it's not kind of its own thing but anyway so there's this idea of uh, uh, samuel robotham saying you know if you live, uh, or if you could, uh, you know, measure a long enough span of distance, you know, flat distance, you would see that, uh, you know, say, if, yeah, I think it was a, a lantern they used at this point. Uh, uh, you could hang it up and, you know, the earth being flat, you could prove that, uh, you know, standing a distance away, you wouldn't, you know, you would still be able to see the light. Whereas if the earth was actually curved, uh, you would not be able to see the light because again, the curvature of the earth would be in the way. Uh, uh, Wallace, uh, you know, Alfred uh, uh, Wallace got involved in this uh, with a bet, saying, you know, if we went to this uh, section of canal, you know, it's a long, you know, dugout straight section. The water is, you know, as flat as can be, and so you know, there's this whole debate over, uh, you know, using the light there, and of course, you know, <laughs> you, you can't see it because the Earth is round, so got in the way, and when parallax and his followers it was this whole thing of no actually you know so something got in the way or you know there's always this excuse and it's like recently there's been a number of cases and i sent you there's a a guy in canada who recently did an equivalent experiment on a lake up there uh i imagine some people listening to this may have seen the netflix documentary behind the curve which is interesting because uh like one of the subplots that are following this group of uh flat earthers who are very into you know, using scientific testing to prove the earth is flat. Uh, and again, you know, they're not dumb, they're using, you know, they're coming up with good experiments and using the scientific method and proving the earth is around. And where the problem is is that they then discount the results of their scientific method. But so again, it's not that they're dumb, it's not that they're not scientific, it's just there's the, the block that's getting in the way. But I think there was a canal in Florida, I think, that they were using but so there is you know it's come back as this uh, reliable experiment but again because it's relying on you know, scientific you know you're not going to prove if someone truly believes the earth is flat you know this is a religious worldview and you know no amount of science is going to disprove a religious you know a religious view of any sort you know no matter what it is uh but this is kind of seen as like kind of when i i think like the flat earth idea kind of went Mainstreaming, and it's tied in not coincidentally with a lot of the debate over religion and evolution and deep time and this other uh, you know undercurrent of you know new scientific debate and religion versus science is happening you know at the same time with a number of these same people as well. Uh, and then, uh, I think a couple of years after this, one of uh, Parallax's followers, a guy named William Carpenter, emigrated from the UK to Baltimore and he was kind of became an episode or a center of uh, promoting flat earth views in the united states although by this point there already were a number of flat earth promoters in the united states uh one guy who i'm you know very interested in was a uh a former slave in virginia named john jasper who after the civil war uh opened up his own uh, church in virginia and actually a mixed race congregation something which doesn't get remarked on a lot, but you know he was by a very specific interpretation of the Bible was promoting flat Earth beliefs. Uh, although again, that's really only a minor subset of uh, uh, what he was preaching. But became very well known because of that. He toured uh, uh, you know all across the United States. Uh, sometimes I've seen it referred to that. Uh, he and Carpenter were friends, which I, I have not actually found any evidence of, but they certainly did know of each other. I think Carpenter probably saw Jasper when he came to speak in Baltimore. Uh, in early 1880s, I believe, there's a flat earth just like a, a U.S. version of the society that started in New York City, which has some very big names as well. Uh, uh, the former superintendent of public education in Baltimore is one of the members, and uh, uh the surgeon general of the grand army of the republic which was the uh uh kind of veterans organization for northern civil war veterans so there's a number of high you know prominent people who are on this flat earth advocacy group that gets opened in new york city in the 1880s uh, uh and then separately also in uh I want to say indiana somewhere in the midwest there's uh uh yeah, i think it's zion <laughs> Indiana, but uh, basically a town of Flat Earth Believers organized around this church led by uh, William Voliva, and the church is still there, and it's still kind of you know, active in this. But so the interesting thing is you now there is, uh, starting in the UK, you can kind of see it descending from Robotham, and a lot of his followers start the, the Flat Earth Society in the UK, which at the time, uh, it's called the Universal Zetetic Society. And then there's kind of an offshoot that comes to the U S but really that offshoot of the British society is kind of one of like the three separate strands of flat earth thought that are really prominent in the U S from around can say approximately the end of the civil war onwards here.
0: Would you describe, um, parallax Robotham? Is he a kind of a guru? Is he a a, a cult leader? Is that the sort of <laughs> language we would use to talk about?
1: I don't like, uh, in terms of like the U.S., uh, Voliva probably, yeah, definitely a cultist. I mean, I don't know, like, because they're not really trying to form a separate, you know, breakaway society. They're not shutting themselves off. If anything, they're, uh, I mean, it's, uh, they're connected through, you know, letters and you know, they have meetings. Uh, they actually have a fairly active newsletter for even after Robotham's death. But I don't know if I would call him a cult leader just because, you know, there's not really a specific, I think, call to action you know in terms of like we have to overthrow the government or stuff like i mean it's they're they're active in civil society they have outside views uh actually one of the interesting things are that i don't know about robotham himself but a lot of the people in britain who come after him they're very active and uh uh kind of calls to reform the british empire and you know calls for civil rights for especially like subjects in africa and the west indies so there is this kind of progressive streak within it as well? But uh, uh, they remain you know fairly active in society and you know they're living their own lives,
0: uh-huh. yeah. No, that's that's an important difference, and uh, interesting that they're they're progressive on many subjects. So, th- to them, do you do you feel that the flat earth is essentially a religious? Is, is I mean, I, I think I commented on our first flat earth episode that to me. It felt like kind of like an ultimate conspiracy theory in that <laughs> it, it's so silly on the face of it. It's like the proverbial thing that we know is true. And therefore, if we can undermine that most basic of assumptions, then everything else is up for grabs. You know, similarly to creationism. You know, if, if scientists are wrong about such a fundamental aspect of the universe, then we get to, you know, we, we can almost throw them out and rewrite the rules ourselves. And, <laughs> and primarily that comes from a religious Point of view or at least a society which is becoming increasingly uh, uncomfortable with the implications of what science is telling them particularly with darwinism in the in the, in the 19th century does that i mean is absolutely
1: this- yeah i mean i think like what you said about like uh, the you know the fundamental knowledge of being just the earth is around i think that's really key especially because you know, from another way like on a basic level I mean, you can kind of see where like if you look at the horizon you're not seeing i know like, a, it's not obviously a ball. You don't feel like you're, you know, spinning around through the world or through the universe. So it is this kind of thing where we're told, you know, like the earth is round is one of the most basic things, but it does go against our senses. So I think there is this kind of strain where it's very logical place to start. Or it's a logical place to start, I guess, if yeah. you want to contrast, you know, what these elites are telling you versus what your senses are. But, exactly. you know, at another level too, it is it is coming from, I mean, these are all evangelical Christians. Uh, I mean, basically all of them are either, maybe one or two I've seen who are, uh, you know, not avowedly Christian of some sort. I mean, it can be something like, you know, like a Christian socialist all the way to, you know, very, you know, fire and brimstone, you know, Baptists, you know, conservative stuff, but they're all, they all share this kind of strange or this strain of, uh, uh, very specific protestant interpretation of the bible and again i think it's not a coincidence that uh you know this really does start to emerge with the debate around evolution and the age of the earth uh and again if you read these you know flat earth newsletters back in the 1880s 1890s they're talking about evolution being fake they're talking about the earth only being six thousand so from the start it's very much tied in with these uh more prominent views as well uh Uh, And the other thing, too, is uh, there's almost in every case, there's, again, very few exceptions I've found, all the, uh, you know, the justification for the earth being flat, this is fundamentally like their basic premises, you know, the Bible says, blah, 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 this is why it's true. There's maybe one or two cases I've seen of people doing a purely scientific, you know, claim that, uh, uh, you know, the earth is flat because the scientific proof is this. Actually, interestingly, uh, what the specific case I'm thinking of uh, is actually from the Muslim world. it's not it's from a, a university student and her advisor in Tunisia a couple of years ago. but that was the one that really I can think of that is a specifically science only. So everything that's come out of the West and even elsewhere in the Muslim world has been very fundamentally uh, religious in nature
0: i've always I've always heard it said that the the standard and um, dating biblical dating, of just a few thousand years comes from an Irish guy, was it James Usher? Yep, yeah. Uh, ar- Archbishop of um, Armagh in, in, in the North. <laughs> yep, yeah. And it, 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 all of the other sort of young earth creationism dating systems are some version of what he came up with, which was kind of like looking at all, all the bagats. I think, at the beginning, yeah. <laughs> assuming a, a rough generational uh, amount of years. So how fascinating is it that in into this environment in, in England in the, in the mid 19th century comes not just any scientist to to stand against this but Alfred Russell Wallace a guy <laughs> fascinating for so many reasons but in, in case anyone listening isn't au fait was a sort of a jungle adventuring Victorian scientist you know one of the people responsible for coming up with the basic idea of evolution kind of parallel to Darwin and but also a huge spiritualist and was a proponent of all sorts of other unusual beliefs. And, uh, wow, what like, you couldn't have, I mean, if this was made up for a Hollywood film, you couldn't have chosen (laughs) a a more surprising person to come in on the side of, of science when it comes to this stuff. So what happened when he, he, he set up an experiment to sort of prove something to parallax.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, like I was uh, saying, it's just, it's not, uh, accepted overall by the wider uh, uh views of uh, of the flat earthers this is just something that uh yeah, like no matter what evidence you come uh, come up with it's just not really applied to them it's i mean you can't really get through and it's interesting too because even beyond you know you can see how someone like whether it's alfred russell wallace or more recently you know neil degrasse tyson has been the big like science proponent who's trying to come up with science only explanations of why the earth is round uh but there's this been this interesting you know almost from the emergence of the modern flat earth movement there's these other young earth creationists who either uh which i think is interesting there's a subset who are uh geocentrists who accept the earth is round but still think the earth is the center of the universe and then just kind of the quote standard young earth creationists you know who accept heliocentrism but still think the earth is only six thousand years old and these are all people having these massive theological debates with each other about like no if you say the earth is flat that's actually a misreading of the bible and it's gonna you know be so ridiculous you're gonna disprove young earth creationism or you know oh if you think the earth is the center of the universe then you know yeah, you're actually misreading this part of scripture that's going to disprove or make people less willing to believe this part of scripture here. That the, So even like, again, it's, I mean, it's all this uh, religious uh, dogma that science and scientific, uh, you know, knowledge can't really come across. And even as I just mentioned uh, in this Netflix document, you know, with the same group that's doing their own version of the Bedford level experiment. They're also coming up with, you know, they're pulling together money and buying these like a, uh, expensive gyroscopes that you know they're saying like okay if we calibrate it like this it's going to show that the earth is actually stationary and then if you know it starts wobbling it's going to show the earth is actually round and of course it immediately starts you know showing that the earth is round Is saying oh well we miscalibrated this obviously the problem's not with the m- machine the problem's with us interpreting the yeah. <laughs> very but it's but it, it goes to show it it's much like with you know wider you know there's a whole conversation now about you know how do you get QAnon people to stop believing it? Especially now that their big prophecy has failed, and it's just, you know, it's it's not even just a cult matter. It's just, you know, it's a become a religious view that's <laughs> no amount of evidence is ever gonna dis. You know, it's like you know, in line with something, uh, again with like the theory, of, you can show them dinosaur fossils. You know, you can show them Neanderthals. You know how the development of hominids approaches where humans and it's just it's not going to convince them
0: <laughs> no and you can see the press kind of slowly getting on board with this and every day now I see articles about what do we do with these people how do we <laughs> de-radicalize them and and people are finally realizing this is not a scientific problem you're not going to solve this by throwing facts at it this is an emotional you have to understand where they're coming from mm. emotionally it's it's how people feel you know and uh, <laughs> like I used to I used to try and make connections between like why we we talk about fringe topics on the show and what the connections are to like, you know, real important things. And I don't feel like I need to make that connection anymore. I think it's become so obvious to everybody over the last year and, and to people who've been paying attention. It's been obvious for years, but finally they're recognizing that, yeah, you, you know, just just saying the facts isn't going to get you anywhere. You have to well, there's a whole cottage industry now, isn't there, of people <laughs> who believe they know how to how to snap people out of it. And uh, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, and it's just funny too, because I mean, uh, not a specific flat Earth thing, but uh, like in terms again of QAnon, which has some overlap with flat Earthers as well. Uh, there's a podcast, uh, QAnon Anonymous, with these three journalists who uh, do it. And one of their early works was actually looking at the overlap of. Flat Earthers and QAnon, which is funny because they came up with that at a time when you know Flat Earth was so much in the mainstream and QAnon was this very fringe thing. And over the course of that podcast, it's, it's totally flipped I me. Mean, I remember even a year ago, just people being like, "What is Q?" Like, but yeah, it's, I think I think I first came across it maybe like two and a half or so years. But it's just it's just been crazy to see like how big that's become. But, but I mean, even Flat Earthers too. Like, uh, uh, I taught a class on kind of like pseudo history, pseudoscience in autumn of uh, 2019. And even in the span of that semester, you know, almost two years ago now, there's a QAnon guy who killed his brother because he thought he was like replaced by a lizard person, a QAnon guy who shot a mob boss on Staten Island because he thought like Trump had sent him a QAnon guy who uh, was defacing some local historical site. Ironically, because he believed like history network stuff that said this had actually been built by the Freemasons would come to uh, like the new world, you know, 2000 years ago. So because he believed this one other ridiculous, like history channel conspiracy thing, he then defaced the site because he believed this other uh, conspiracy theory. It I mean, yeah, but even with flat earthers too, uh, you know, it's had a body count, uh, you know, just before you know, we start recording, we started talking about the guy very recently, uh, who uh, was a flat earther, who was also an anti-vaxxer and you know, sabotaging coronavirus vaccines here. But uh, beginning of last year, there was uh, Mike Hughes, the guy who built his own rocket to prove the earth was flat and then crashed it and died. Uh, although I think, to be fair, I think he was not actually a flat earther. I think he was just using that to get money to build his rocket, which- uh,
0: oh, I, I remember that, yeah, that, that guy- More power to like him for that. A, <laughs> like he was kind of trying to cash in on a trend and yeah. a little bit. I interesting how you're saying earlier i mean in the 19th century at least there was some attempts to be kind of science-ish about this and like groups would have genuine points of view which they would disagree on and you know actually no we interpret it differently to you and maybe maybe less of what i mean when i used to study about creationism they used to talk about like big tent creationism which is like Mm -hmm. well we all might have a slightly different understanding of you know, young Earth or old Earth or whatever, but we're all politically we're looking for the same thing, so we'll we'll join in together, and that's a bit like various you know far right groups who might want different things, but understand that if they band together, they'll have um, they'll have more power, and and really their only connection is that they're all kind of anti-establishment in some way. But yeah. <laughs> QAnon is like some kind of monster conspiracy eater where it just it swallows up everything else, and nobody even cares enough to construct a cohesive narrative that you know well you believe lizard people and i believe flat earth doesn't matter yeah it's, the point is we're all anti-establishment and well it's it's
1: just like yeah like the guy who's been on the news so much since he you know took part in the storming the capital the q shaman with the uh uh, antlers and the face fans. Yeah. There's some clip of like some other QAnon person, you know, coming up and just being like, isn't that kind of anti Christian? And him just being like, well, you know, actually, like Christ was the first shaman, so therefore it's. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but
0: yeah. <laughs> he, he gets immediately uh disavowed by the Q
1: community. Yeah. Well, it's just funny because there was over the summer, or last summer, I guess now, you know, there is this guy in the QAnon community who's leading this, you know, big rallies like, all across, like, I think like Los Angeles in the Midwest. But, you know, it turned out he had been, you no, know, like a failed rapper beforehand and you know his songs and referenced pizza. So, of course, then they start turning, oh, you're singing about pizza. So obviously you're part of the Pizzagate cabal of pedophiles. And oh,
0: of course. This- <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, and um, one of the things I want to kind of focus on with this episode is the, the prevalence of the idea and whether it was indeed mainstream ever or whether it was always fringe. So we're talking about these groups in the 19th century. And I, I presume, I mean, this is fringe, but it wasn't only happening in England and the UK. There were other examples of this during the sort of colonial 19th century, weren't there?
1: Oh, yeah. So like one of the things that really interesting, kind of how I got interested in this is when I was doing research in my dissertation, which had originally had nothing really to do with this, but it did focus on uh, ideas of where the city of great Zimbabwe and, you know, what's now modern Zimbabwe came from and how over the years there have been different settlers in the area, including, you know, the Afrikaners, the Dutch uh, uh, fundamentalist Calvinist church, and as part of their beliefs. I was reading that, you know, they, among them, uh, people believed the earth was flat, including a uh, the head of the Dopper Church, as it was called, uh, uh, Paul Kruger, who was also president of the Transvaal Republic. And as I read, it like the word Dopper, which he came up or applied to his church meant extinguisher, because it was meant to extinguish the light of the Enlightenment. So tied in with all this stuff, like the idea that, you know, uh, Calvinists believe, you know, there's the elect and the reprobates. So for them, of course, the elect were the settlers, and the reprobates were the Africans. And then great Zimbabwe was proof that King Solomon had come to claim the land for, you know, the modern Israelites. And of course also the earth is flat. So, uh, and this ties in also with kind of like, you know, Cecil Rhodes and his propaganda about how the Afrikaners are you know so backwards. They're rejecting, you know, industrialization and capitalism and railroads, AKA ways to get to diamonds and gold. So their kind of whole backwardsness and, uh, I guess, uh, not South Africa, yeah, but Southern Africa was part of the justification for the Boer War. Uh, you can see a lot of this circulating in uh, uh, newspapers at the time in the like mid to late 1890s. Uh, and in particular, it's kind of one big event that triggers it is uh, at this time, like late 1890s, there's a guy, I think originally Canadian, then comes a US citizen, uh, Joshua Slocum, who's a guy, first person to sail across the world on his own. And, his, like single sailing boat uh so i you know he lands in south africa when he's you know nearing the end of his voyage around the world he gets accosted by a couple uh uh dapper church clergymen you know who are saying like show us your logs so we know you're lying about sailing around the world because the world's flat so it's wow. obviously not true and then like he goes he meets paul kruger and kruger is like yeah i know you didn't actually sail across you know you mean wow. you sailed he says something like you sailed over the world not around the world and that's but then the other interesting thing is uh slocum also stops in uh durban which you know part of uh the british uh, natal colony at the time and in durban there's a member of the Zotetic society an englishman who's part of uh the london-based society uh i don't know if he actually meets slocum but you know he sees Slocum, and he writes about how you know Slocum actually proves the Earth is flat because he's just sailing straight. You know, he's not you know saying, "Oh, I'm sailing in the oh." So, it's have this one guy in South Africa who's you know from this Calvinist tradition is saying, you know, this English or this you know American sailor is you know obviously you know a false flag or whatever, and then. The British flat earthers saying, "Oh, well, he wasn't recording, you know, going over the Earth. Uh, therefore, oh. obviously, the Earth is flat. And he's, he proves it right here." But uh, it's an, another interesting thing too. Is uh, I don't know if you've heard of. I guess there was just a movie about him recently. Uh, James Glacier, uh, the guy, he set a number of uh, records uh, in balloons ascending in the like the mid 1800s. Uh, I think I don't know, he was at Oxford, but He was just in a movie where uh, he was played by. Uh, What's the the guy who played Stephen Hawking in uh, The Theory of Every, oh, Eddie Redmayne, but yeah, so uh, that movie itself wasn't that good, honestly, but but in any case, uh, so he was like kind of a celebrity, uh, you know, aerial pilot of his day, uh, and they focus a lot on him because, you know, in his journals, he writes, you know, even from like 30,000 feet high, the earth just looks flat beneath me, and then so everyone's saying, oh, this, you know, the guy who's basically, you know, like the astronaut pioneer of his day, oh, Glacier is saying the earth is flat, therefore it's true. You know, They, they prove it, and they get into this, a lot of funny stuff of just being like, oh, you know, his eye is renowned. As, he has like, you no, know, his eye is as good as, you know, a Zulu hunter, and that's why he can, he could, of course, you know, Glacier was like in his like 70s at the time, so it's just like, they're having this bizarre like uh, like hero, like superhuman qualities. They're adding just to this, you know, Oxford scholar who's just going did he, up and the <laughs> Did he make
0: this claim? Was he, was he flat earth?
1: No, he, he himself was not, a, as far as I can, I think he just said, you know, looking down below the earth looks flat, you know,
0: uh, like, it's a bit like, um, who? Uh, what was the name of the, the aerial pilot who got sucked into the hollow earth conspiracies? Uh, oh
1: yeah, I know. Yeah. Bird? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's a bit like
0: that where like some of his diaries were taken out of context. Years yeah. Later, yeah. Or,
1: yeah. It's also funny because I mean, it's not flatter, but there's, if you look at the number of, uh, uh, Apollo astronauts who then got sucked into weird flat, or not, but uh, just weird, like pseudoscience stuff. Like, uh, uh, and I don't think there's any of them who are flat earthers. One of them became a young earth creationist. Uh, one of them is like a psychic powers advocate. Uh, <laughs> uh even Neil Armstrong got like sucked into like, uh, trying to find like an Eric von Daniken like lost alien city in Ecuador. And so it's just this number of Apollo astronauts just somehow get involved in this really, uh, yeah. Even that shows, I guess, like the limit of science, Uh, you know, you can build, you can fly in a rocket to the moon and still believe, you know, the moon was, put there 6,000 years ago by God to fool humans
0: or... (laughs) Yeah, and, like, how many UFO books have a bit where they emphasize, here are some famous people who have seen them, therefore it must be important. Like, you know, Jimmy Carter, wasn't it? Yep, yeah. And Buzz Aldrin, too. He he got put into that whole thing of, like, seeing a... I think...
1: it was like it's that woman who uh, he punched because she kept trying to get him to. Pr- yeah, but
0: <laughs> he's kind of an ornery guy. But- <laughs> uh, if you've, I've seen that video, man. I would get ornery yeah. too. That that, yeah, that person yeah. that's in his face and <laughs> yeah, but like if you can bring a, a recognized name into into yeah. something, it's like an extension of you know a, these these quotes that get attached to somebody famous and like yeah. <laughs> if it's in the U.S., it's always Mark Twain said it. Yeah. <laughs> if it's in Britain, it's always uh, Ch- Churchill. If it's in Ireland, yeah. it's always Oscar Wilde. <laughs> always. He he's said absolutely everything. So if you, it's like it's got something to do with the belief process where I, th- I think it's, it's like the urban legend effect of friend of a friend of a friend, you know, yeah. instead of somebody you've never heard of, this weird thing happened to them. Oh, no, it happened to, it, it, you know, it, it, it happened to Buzz Aldrin. He saw the UFO. And also yeah. you're talking about these, these guys who are heroes and astronaut. Mm-hmm stars of their day like the balloonists and they have these amazing eyes how many ufo reports emphasize <laughs> yeah. ones uh, by policemen or pilots because of course they they're trained to know what they're looking at Yeah. yeah as if they they can't make mistakes like like the rest of us
1: but the funny thing too about uh, like just the Jimmy Carter thing is that if you read it, what he actually said, he was like, yeah, I just saw some light and my kids. Like were really into UFOs. So I made a UFO report just for my kids. So they have, but, and then, but then of course, you know, Reagan, you never hear this, but you know, he was obsessed with aliens. Like he thought genuinely, like there's going to be an alien invasion, like a uh, Gorbachev. He, he wrote in his diary, like when he first met Reagan, he was like, this guy just won't stop talking about aliens. Like, wow <laughs> so it's just funny and
0: <laughs> yeah. um, i'm trying to match the timeline in my head now but i know you're a michael crichton guy um you know in sphere in the book mm. um the the main character uh, had a job the reason he's involved in the plot is because he had written a report on how to deal with first contact for some previous presidential That's, administration yeah. would yeah. that match up is that i'm, reflection I'm trying
1: of? to i'm trying to think of when sphere was written it's like, like early 80s <laughs> yeah I mean, it's like maybe Congo in, was written in eighty, maybe it was right like in after seventy
0: nine or eighty. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, they, even in Congo too, the whole uh, like the speaking or like the communicating with apes program, like they mentioned, that's part of a program to communicate with aliens and come up. So I think he works it in even there too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So something I really want to talk about is the the place of flat Earth, like more generally in history. So it's it's long been this contentious thing, and as a guy on the street who hasn't studied this academically at least like I, I think the usual take is most people seem to believe that there used to be a myth that everyone thought the earth was flat prior to columbus and that this is because of washington irving largely <laughs> and, and that in fact people didn't and, and people have known since ancient times with uh, Eratosthenes or however you say mm-hmm. that and, and and so that you know maybe groups of people living out in the boonies might have thought otherwise but educated people or the the scientific consensus has always been the educated educated elite consensus has been forever that we know it's it's round and and you've sent me on a whole bunch of really interesting papers <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> fighting back and forth about what people really believed in medieval times and i, I just i just thought we might talk about that now and how medieval times is such a battleground that's been fought over you know since the enlightenment and, and what what does it mean what, what's the importance of the columbus story and the columbus myth particularly like in american culture coming from someone like washington irving
1: yeah <laughs> yeah it is i think like it was only relatively recently i found out it's was washington irving who comes up with like the whole columbus proving the earth is round it's like that's just really funny to me that the guy who like wrote sleepy hollow also just did that but uh uh but yeah it's like again like like you mentioned like i think we have to differentiate like what educated people knew versus what just common everyday people because again you know just because of lack of sources. We're never going to really know what commoner, at least, you know, Eratosthenes and the Library of Alexandria uh, being, you know, the prime of, even before that, you know, there were kind of philosophers who believed the earth was spherical. Uh, I believe that the idea that the earth rotated, that was more controversial. But again, the gen, the shape of the earth, the, even the general size of the earth to within, I think a percent or so was pretty much known from, uh, the Hellenistic period, uh, uh, you know, and because of Alexander the Great and uh, uh, the Hellenistic kingdoms after, you know, that knowledge exists through there, the Arabs after the rise of Islam, you know, highly valued Greek knowledge and spread that as well throughout much of this. So again, the, the educated, you know, consensus consensus for most of the world. Uh, I have to admit, I'm not as familiar with Chinese source. I know there's some debate over how, when round earth or flat earth views are spreading in China. Although, I, interestingly, I, I have read sources saying, and again, I add with this caveat, this is not my expertise, but until kind of like the mid 1700s, there were still Jesuit missionaries in China preaching a geocentric model, not flat earth, but still geocentrism. So that's interesting if that is true. But uh, but again, through most of history or from you know, Eratosthenes on, in the area of the Hellenistic and then later the Muslim world. This was the general idea of both the shape and size of the earth. And actually Columbus is kind of an interesting example because to get funding for his voyage to make it seem like something he could do, he actually revised the shape of the earth downward quite significantly. So the irony is even if Columbus was not a flat earther because most people were not at that point. He kind of employed similar methodology to the flat earthers in arguing for a small earth to prove that he could actually make the voyage to Asia. Because if you know he used the model of the Earth that was known at the time, you know, the accurate size, there was no way he could have gone from Europe to Asia. So he was basically using this alternative cartography that wasn't flat Earth, but it was a much smaller Earth than was accepted at the time.
0: Oh, I, I've always heard that you know the myth is he thought the the Earth was flat and then he was surprised, but the, the reality was that he thought the Earth was smaller than it was and was surprised by this new content. And but so so that was deliberate, like that was a political ploy to to downplay the uh, the 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 length of the voyage.
1: Yeah, there's uh there there's one book I, it's specifically about Columbus. I can't remember. I, I can send you after. But in addition to this, there's a very good uh, work on what's called the flat error, you know, the, the myth of the flat earth called uh, inventing the flat earth by a uh, Jeffrey Burton Russell, I, I believe is his name from the early nineties, but it goes into just how this idea that people in the, you know, the middle ages did think the earth was flat, uh, came about, uh, the inter And again, this is kind of tied in a lot, not just with, uh, evol- you know, this is a bit before theory of evolution and stuff, but there's this, uh, really still a religious aspect to it and that by Columbus and invent- or proving the earth was round against you know the quote medieval superstition of the church aka the catholic church it transforms Columbus into like a proto-protestant figure which oh. if you know anything about Columbus <laughs> I mean the idea that this guy would have been a Protestant, is you know it's just but uh but so it therefore means like oh. Columbus was a, of proto-Protestant, but also links like Protestantism yes. with scientific advancement. Yeah. And, you know, the discovery of the Americas is there for, you know, this Protestant scientific. <laughs> it, so, the, it, you <laughs> oh, know, it's hilarious. the shifting of... Yeah. But the interesting thing is this is also happening around the same time that there's a lot of uh, renewed interest in what at the time were the hypothetical Viking voyages to the New World. And there's a very mm-hmm. similar thing with... Uh, transforming the vikings into proto-protestants uh, and also a racial aspect because if the vikings came there first and it proved that the americas were destined for you know anglo-saxon dominance and that you know <laughs> so at the same time columbus is becoming like a protestant symbol they're also looking for a way to make it say you no know, it's not those you know southern european catholics it's so no. you know, northern european
0: it's... <laughs> yeah. i must do an episode about like m- mythical vi- viking voyages like this desperate impulse to make yeah <laughs> america there's, white white as far great, back in history
1: if, if you do there's a great book uh, called uh in search of first contact a really fantastic book that is not only about kind of the racial aspect of you know the viking ideas in the 1800s but also looks at a uh, Native American oral histories of the Viking contact, So it's real interesting on both ends of that.
0: My brother, who who's an academic and, and part of his purview is um, sort of like the Church of England and the Church of Ireland mm-hmm. in the 1700s. And he's fascinated okay. by sort of post-Reformation attempts by the Protestant nations to emphasize the credulity and superstition of, of, of Catholics and, and <laughs> yep, <to> yeah. just <laughs> put them down and portray them as, as being uh, s- sillier or, or more superstitious. and how funny that someone like columbus who was was a very devout catholic because he later becomes a <laughs> symbol of america and yep. like like i think there's a reason why the the myth of you know medieval silliness and and the church being backwards and unscientific versus columbus being this go go getter like land <laughs> yep. discovering proto protestant it, it, it's got to tie into the idea that like like that, Columbus would represent this progress and this yeah. <laughs> rugged, rugged individualism. If if you want to go there, um, and therefore that he must have kind of spiritually been like wasp.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's just really funny. I, yeah, but I mean, there is something kind. I mean, I think it's something that's not as well recognized. The degree of which there is this kind of not international, but it's just you know, like this is still an era when you could have uh, like you know english sailors working for the portuguese kingdom or you know it's, i think the degree of which there is this i mean the, the spain you know, a columbus was you know italian but b the spanish or that was that was his third you know, he went to england and portugal first
0: they turned him down he was a mercenary he didn't really exactly. at the end of the day he didn't care that much and, and exactly yeah it's a it's it's revisionism is so funny you know all these nations now they look back and say oh we were catholics fighting against protestants or christians fighting against muslims and then you you find out a lot of them were just working with whoever was going to pay them
1: yeah (laughs) but the conquistadors too is just like you know like i mean you don't really at least in the u.s you know in general you don't really learn a lot about them but you know the idea that they were this you know spanish arm it's just basically just like this spanish monarchs giving these contracts to anyone who just wanted to go over and you know pillage around for a bit as long as you're doing it to spread the spanish empire you do whatever you want like just the idea that you know for like modern ideas and you know whether it's nationality or naval or military or even like government just it, when i teach history it's really try to emphasize this that the way we think of all of these categories really don't you know, especially if you go back like 500 years this is it's not at all how they viewed the world or themselves or each other uh do
0: you think that like uh, kind of post Enlightenment, there's this at- attempt to make the medieval times into this deliberately backwards thing, as a, as again as a post Reformation thing, as a way to emphasize that the Catholic Church was inherently backwards and anti science, and that the flat Earth myth is like a like a symbol of that.
1: Yeah, I mean even before the you know the Protestant uh, Reformation you know, with the Renaissance, so, you know the rebirth of you know classical culture i mean to do that you have to ignore like all this you no know, the, the idea of the middle ages was like the quote dark ages i think that's you no know, that's such a uh, abiding view but i think comes at least partly out of this whole renaissance thought where if they're going to bring back classical culture then by definition there can't have been any kind of you know lingering classical call i mean you know the idea of like they're being like multiple renaissances, just like the most recent one is the one that's, you know, Charlemagne's already bringing back, you know, Roman culture, you know, like the idea that like, you know, Cicero vanished for a thousand, just like that's, you know, the idea that, you know, there's just no Latin, no Greek for a thousand years in Europe. Uh, There's recent, there's a book that just came out by Seb Falk, I think it was a month or two ago called The Light Ages, but it's like a case study of a, a specific guy in England, uh, I think, in the 13th century, but, you know, it's, it shows how, you know, the degree of which there is this scientific thought that is still going on, and, you know, there is still this connection with, uh, you know, the outside world. You know, like, is it uh, Roger the Second, the king of Sicily, you know, he's bringing in Arab scholars to draw a world map for his, you know, Christian kingdom, the degree of which they're even in, you know, Spain itself, Al-Andalus, Granada, Cordoba, it's a huge amount of uh, uh, cross-culture, cross-religious things that are going on there, even after the Christian reconquest, I mean, the kings are still sponsoring, you know, Arab scholars to come translate things into Latin. So
0: didn't uh, Al Said? Al Said? He he's yeah. later he's later retconned into this like Christian superhero <laughs> who fights the Muslims. But he he in his lifetime he would have fought occasionally with Muslim kingdoms because he was paid to.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Or like with like uh, the conquest of uh, Constantinople. I mean, there's Christians fighting on the Muslim in the Muslim armies there because they have these. Local and so the idea also, you know, religion or either a that religion is just all encompassing or that religion is somehow completely divorced from like ground level temporal concern. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's it's it's, no, it's never been that crystal clear, cut and dried throughout history.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and sometimes I feel that we, especially folks who were who are considered themselves humanist or whatnot sometimes there's this attitude of oh well they must all have been hypocrites because you know they went on <laughs> crusades or they went to conquer new countries and they claimed to be doing it for religious motives but really they just wanted loot and you know, there's no reason why it can't be both you know they, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know your, your self-interest sh- your your worldview ideally should mesh with your self-interest and that doesn't make you less devout um,
1: yeah it's like there's a, I was just teaching uh the Crusades, you know, there's some, I can't forget the names now, but, you know, a kind of like a temp, you know, a young Templar going to, you know, Jerusalem, and so you know, the Templars have set up a church in a former mosque, and, you know, the young guy sees, you know, this old Muslim coming in to do his daily prayers, and he's about to cut his head off, and all the other Templars, like, no, no, you know, yeah, he's a Muslim, you know, he's one of them, he's our friends, he's, he's good, you know, he's he's all right, you can still let him go worship his, you know, silly pagan god here. He's, he's one of us,
0: you know. <laughs> well, you mean the Templars weren't all as evil as Brendan Gleeson in The uh, Kingdom yeah. of Women? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, did, I did a hate, on that note, I did a hate read uh, a few years ago of a book called, you probably know this, I can only imagine this is infamous within actual academic <laughs> circles. Um, uh, William Manchester and uh, A World Lit Only by Fire. It's this, oh. like... 1990s i think revisionist book (laughs) being like no 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 the the medieval times were completely filthy and squalorous and it was all yeah (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) well it's just funny too because you know monty python the whole era that that is a you know because terry jones he was really into medieval history and uh i think eric Idle was too so you know it's it's a fairly good uh (laughs) yeah uh, not direct history but a good look at the general certainly
0: in um the, in the life of Brian, you can see. I think I think Terry yeah. gillingham particularly went out of his way to say let's have let's make this look like a historical epic. And and in terms of the places they found to shoot, which I believe were North Africa, mm-hmm. and, and the way he shoots them, it looks amazing. It looks like yeah, a big crazy. budget, you know, Hollywood epic of ancient times. It's just that there's really good jokes in there as well.
1: Yeah, and ancient aliens show up too in that. Oh, <laughs>
0: oh, you're right. I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't make <like> that connection. <laughs> Right. What else do we want to say about Flat Earth? Is there anywhere else that shows up in history that we haven't? Oh,
1: uh, well, I mean, I'll just say, uh, like, the other kind of interesting case study I came across uh, is uh, Boko Haram in Nigeria. Because, again, it's kind of, it's a Muslim equivalent of uh, some of these evangelical uh, Christian Flat Earthers. And that, you know, it's a very specific Sunni Muslim interpretation of the Quran. And again, much like uh, in the Christian world, if you go through history, you're going to find one or two prominent Muslim scholars who are flat Earth. But again, the vast majority, especially because, you know, they respected Greek science so highly uh, uh, throughout the Muslim uh, world. So so most Muslims, at least most educated Muslims fully accept, uh, you know, a globe Earth. But Uh, with Boko Haram, they're going to a very specific interpretation of very specific passages of the Quran and emphasizing that the earth is flat, again, as part of their rejection of, sorry, as part of their rejection of, uh, you know, Western education that the British left behind in Nigeria. So it ties in with this anti-colonial model. But uh, again, the idea, you know, like flat earth is just, you know, a bunch of silly fun. I mean, there's hundreds of, Geography teachers in Nigeria who've been killed by Boko Haram specifically because of them teaching that the earth is round there's I think something like ten or twenty thousand teachers in general who left teaching in Nigeria because they feared for their lives because of Boko Haram, not entirely because of their flat earth views but that's certainly part of it so again, we have this group uh, you know in Nigeria that you know through their flat earth, you know, through their institutionalized flat earth views, uh, you know, have had serious loss of life. Uh, Again, it's interesting because as far as I can tell, you know, if you go to something like the Taliban or ISIS or other, you know, Sunni, uh, uh, you know, fundamentalist groups, I mean, Boko Haram is even affiliated with ISIS. But as far as I can tell, you know, ISIS, the Taliban, I don't think they're flat earthers either. So it is this very specific thing, which, again, comes, I think, really out of the, the founder, uh, Muhammad Yusuf uh, uh, in Nigeria, who had certainly very idiosyncratic views. And I think uh, uh, it really comes out of his specific interpretation as opposed to any kind of a more general uh, Muslim interpretation. Again, as I mentioned, you know, the same example that's happening about the same time elsewhere in the Muslim world in Tunisia. This a flat earth case, but it's entirely secular based on claimed scientific world, you know, no reference to God or religion in any of that claim. So again, this specific Muslim interpretation is mainly, uh, uh, from Boko Haram, although there was a guy and who, a guy who eventually became the head of the, you know, the Grand Mufti of Saudi Arabia, who was a flat earther for a time, but he gave that up, uh, eventually, uh, mainly because one of the Saudi princes flew on the space shuttle. So it was kind of hard to claim that, uh, the earth was flat when the prince was flying, you know, orbiting the earth. Although apparently he still maintained that uh, the earth was the center of the universe. So he didn't give up on geocentrism, but he did give up on flat earthism.
0: (laughs) Speaking of teachers, you'll probably remember the most chilling moment in Behind the Curve is when they show how the young people are being encouraged to call out their teachers about flat earth. And again, it shows... It's not all. It's not silly fun, um, and only today I saw that there seems to be a problem now with sort of QAnon radicalized <laughs> teachers and. Oh no! <laughs> you know this is not going away anytime soon. Yeah, so, it's... what would you see as the like the most relevant relic of this belief system today? Like, what's going forward from now? What effects is, is this having on, on society?
1: I mean, I think it is the sense you know, like where like the like again if people in the past were these you know total idiots and were you know incredibly you know educated and therefore it's i think it's an idea that there's nothing of value to be gained from looking at the past but also thinking that you know we're now way beyond any of that kind of stuff that of course we don't have any of you know their ridiculous views or or any ridiculous views whatsoever maybe that's starting to change also uh but i think it's this idea of you know there being no value in under not just knowing what people in the past thought, but in understanding why they thought that. Uh, or also, I think, uh, just the general sense of you know we're we're so much better now, and you know we're sm- or what really gets me is we're smarter now than people were in the past. Which you know, a claim that I always have to say <laughs> we're no smarter or dumber than they were in the past. It was just different beliefs, different contexts, different knowledge that was available. But even then. You know, we got to give them more credit than pop culture generally does. Uh, I think also the other legacy is it's really fueled this kind of uh, like the, the new atheist movement, which I think, you know, again, really big in the 90s. And I think that kind of heavily played into like the now like alt-right ideas and kind of, uh, you know, attacks on you know, quote, postmodernism or cultural Marxism or, you know, Islamofascism. I guess that term is kind of passed from its heyday. But I think a lot of uh, people, you know, thought they, you know, oh, the church thought the earth was flat in the past. Therefore, you know, religion is all dumb. Therefore, you have to embrace science, you know, fully. And then that transmutes into, like, (laughs) any number of the far right ideas that
0: are so common today. Fantastic. So this this is like some of your latest research, right? This is stuff that you're working with now. And are you, are you giving any talks or doing any? Is there any, any anything you'd like to promote for listeners if they would like to find out more about it?
1: Nothing to promote. over oh, like I mean, I've, I've given a few talks, a few guest lectures. Eventually, I'm hoping this is going to come out as a book, though. I'm still trying to do some more research. Uh, you know, last unsurprisingly, last year really messed up a lot of my research. It was going to be trying to hit a number of archives maybe if not this year probably next year it'll be back on track but you know i am once i once i get a lot more research under the belt get to some of these archives in person like, like i'm hoping to go to south africa next year maybe uh go to uh, virginia baltimore go through some of uh you know the archives down there with a uh, for people like john jasper and william carpenter so eventually i'll hit those places and i think for sure Sometime within the next few years, this will come out as a book. Uh, uh, who knows when that actually will be, but that's that's the goal eventually.
0: Fantastic. And I'll just quickly mention you had some you had some fantastic ideas for future episodes coming up. I just wanted to tease out <laughs> a little bit just for people listening as, as to what's going on around in my head. You made a suggestion about, um, again, going back to Michael Crichton, about yeah. talking about Eaters of the Dead and um, The 13th Warrior. I happened to watch recently as well. You, you had some ideas about the connections to uh, Beowulf and, and, and stuff like that.
1: I actually, I was just for a separate thing I was doing. I was reading uh, Ahmed Ibn Fadlan's account. I, I I've never read the full account before. He finds a cryptid in the. He finds a a a rhinoceros winding wandering around Russia, which seems very strange. But also, he talks about finding this you know giant. Uh, humanoids swimming in the river which according to natives is a member of the race of Gog and Magog so I didn't know if uh Crichton actually knew this because like when I read that I was like oh there is actually like this giant cryptid humanoid in even Fadlon's account oh (laughs) interesting but uh Yeah, so I I think Crichton might not, because I think if he had read that, he probably would have worked that more directly in, but, and that was eye-opening for me, but yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, kind of like creationist takes on Beowulf, which also I I didn't really know about until a couple of weeks, like they think uh, Grendel is actually a T-Rex, which they're, you know, a living T-Rex, and there's there's a lot of interesting wacky stuff like that
0: (laughs) yeah there's there's quite a bit of creationism mixed into some branches of cryptozoology yeah yeah. (laughs) as we talked about in in the episode about Mokile Membe, if you haven't heard that one go back and take a listen so that that could be something we could do in the future and um give give given us some ideas so i think we'll wrap it up with that thank you so much for all of that edward Um, much much appreciated
1: thank you very much for having me it's always a blast
0: that about wraps it up for this episode folks so hopefully you enjoyed that if you did hopefully you will consider sending a nice coffee my way do check out the buy me a coffee link that will be down in the show notes if not you can still help out the show in other ways as always reviews are really really welcome on whatever app you use especially the native apple one that i use myself i might even read them out if they're interesting and of course you can always check out our link um, on the social media bits and bobs for merchandise and t-shirts and cups and mugs and stuff like that. Uh, You can find us online as always on Twitter where we are at Strange Ireland or Instagram where we are Wide Atlantic Weird Podcast. So until next time, stay safe and thanks for listening. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object.
1: You will prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body.